Chapter 47 of the Ontario Reader's Third Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by P. Pets. Chapter 47 The Chase. Adapted by Charles Dudley Warner. Early one August morning, a doe was feeding on Basin Mountain. The sole companion of the doe was her only child, a charming little fawn, whose brown coat was just beginning to be mottled with beautiful spots. The buck, his father, had been that night on a long tramp across the mountain to clear pond and had not yet returned. He went to feed on the lily pads there. The doe was daintily cropping tender leaves and turning from time to time to regard her offspring. The fawn had taken this morning meal and now lay curled up on a bed of moss. If the mother stepped a pace or two further away in feeding, the fawn made a half-movement as if to rise and follow her. If in alarm, he uttered a plaintive cry. She bounded to him at once. It was a pretty picture, maternal love on the one part and happy trust on the other. The doe lifted her head with a quick motion. Had she heard something? Probably it was only the south wind in the balsams. There was silence all about in the forest. With an affectionate glance at her fawn, she continued picking up her breakfast. But suddenly she started, head erect, eyes dilated, a tremor in her limbs. She turned her head to the south. She listened intently. There was a sound, a distinct prolonged note, pervading the woods. It was repeated. The doe had no doubt now. It was the baying of a hound far off at the foot of the mountain. Time enough to fly, time enough to put miles between her and the hound before he should come upon her fresh trail. Yes, time enough, but there was the fawn. The cry of the hound was repeated, more distinct this time. The mother bounded away a few paces. The fawn started up with an anxious bleat. The doe turned. She came back. She couldn't leave him. She walked away toward the west, and the little thing skipped after her. It was slow going for the slender lakes. Over the fallen logs and through the rasping bushes, the doe bounded in advance and waited. The fawn scrambled after her, sleeping and tumbling along, and whining a good deal because his mother kept always moving away from him. Whenever the fawn caught up, he was quite content to frisk about. He wanted more breakfast, for one thing, and his mother wouldn't stand still. She moved on continually, and his weak legs were tangled in the roots of the narrow deer path. Suddenly came a sound that threw the doe into a panic of terror, a short, sharp yelp, followed by a prolonged howl caught up and re-echoed by other bayings along the mountainside. The danger was certain now. It was near. She could not crawl on in this way. 
the dogs would soon be upon them. She turned again for flight. The fawn, scrambling after her, tumbled over and bleated piteously. Flight with the fawn was impossible. The doe returned, stood by him, head erect and nostrils distended. Perhaps she was thinking. The fawn lay down contentedly, and the doe licked him for a moment. Then, with the swiftness of a bird, she dashed away, and in a moment she was lost in the forest. She went in the direction of the hounds. She descended the slope of the mountain until she reached a more open forest of hardwood. She was going due east when she turned away toward the north, and kept on at a good pace. In five minutes more, she heard the sharp yelp of discovery, and then the deep-mouthed howl of pursuit. The hounds had struck a trail where she turned, and the fawn was safe. For the moment, fear left her, and she bounded on with the exultation of triumph. For a quarter of an hour. She went on at a slapping pace, clearing the bushes with bound after bound, flying over the fallen logs, pausing neither for brook nor ravine. The baying of the hounds grew fainter behind. After running at high speed, perhaps half a mile further, it occurred to her that it would be safe now to turn to the west and, by a wide circuit, seek her fawn. But at the moment, she heard a sound that chilled her heart. It was the cry of a hound to the west of her. There was nothing to do but to keep on, and on she went with the noise of the pack behind her. In five minutes more, she had passed into a hillside clearing. She heard a tinkle of bells. Below her, down the mountain slope, were other clearings broken by patches of woods. A mile or two down lay the valley and the farmhouses. That way also her enemies were. Not a merciful heart in all that lovely valley. She hesitated. It was only for an instant. She must cross the slide broke valley, if possible, and gain the mountain opposite. She bounded on. She stopped. What was that? From the valley ahead came the cry of a searching hound. Every way was closed but one, and that led straight down the mountain to the cluster of houses. The hunted doe went down the open, clearing the fences, flying along the stony path. As she approached Slidebrook, she saw a boy standing by a tree with a raised rifle. The dogs were not in sight. But she could hear them coming down the hill. There was no time for hesitation. With a tremendous burst of speed, she cleared the stream, and as she touched the bank, heard the ping of a rifle bullet in the air above her. The cruel sound gave wings to the poor thing. In a moment more, she leaped into the travelled road. Women and children ran to the doors and windows. Men snatched the rifles. There were twenty people who were just going to shoot her. When the doe leaped the road fence and went away across a marsh toward the foothills, by this time the dogs, panting and lolling out their tongues, came swinging along, keeping the trail like stupids, and consequently losing ground 
with the deer doubled. But when the doe had got into the timber, she heard the savage brutes howling across the meadow. It is well enough, perhaps, to say that nobody offered to shoot the dogs. The courage of the panting fugitive was not gone, but the fearful pace at which she had been going told on her. Her legs trembled and her heart beat like a trip hammer. She slowed her speed, but still fled up the right bank of the stream. The dogs were gaining again, and she crossed the broad, deep brook. The fording of the river threw the hounds off for a time. She used the little respite to push on until the baying was faint in her ears. Late in the afternoon, she staggered down the shoulder of Bartlett and stood upon the shore of the lake. If she could put that piece of water between her and her pursuers, she would be safe. Had she strength to swim it? At her first step into the water, she saw a sight that sent her back with a bound. There was a boat mid lake. Two men were in it. One was rowing, the other had a gun in his hand. What should she do? With only a moment's hesitation, she plunged into the lake. Her tired legs could not propel the tired body rapidly. The doe saw the boat nearing her. She turned to the shore whence she came. The dogs were lapping the water and howling there. She turned again to the center of the lake. The brave, pretty creature was quite exhausted now. In a moment more, the boat was on her, and the man at the oars had leaned over and caught her. Knock her on the head with that paddle, he shouted to the gentleman in the stern. The gentleman was a gentleman with a kind face. He took the paddle in his hand. Just then, the doe turned her head and looked at him with her great appealing eyes. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he dropped the paddle. Oh, let her go. But the guide slung the deer round and whipped out his hunting knife, and the gentleman ate that night of the venison. Charles Dudley Warner End of Section 47 Recording by P. Pats This recording is in the public domain.